Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times, that it, with your NXT TakeOver 31 instant analysis, that's right, we are here just moments after NXT TakeOver 31 went off the air on Sunday night to break down every single thing that happened on a show that many likely will be calling by Monday morning the professional wrestling show of the year to this point. Now, that is up for debate. We will get into that later in this show. Before we get into breaking down this entire card, you know what you all need to do. Head on over to Apple Podcasts or wherever you are listening to the show. Don't wait another second. Drop us a five-star rating and review. Let us know how much you love the show. Let us know how much you love these instant analysis podcasts that come every single time there is major breaking news or right after a pay-per-view event. Also, don't forget you can follow The Silver King on Twitter at Silverstein Adam. But most importantly, follow this show at Getting Overcast. Now, you guys know how we do it on these instant analysis pods. It's late on Sunday night. Generally, when we tape these, we're tired. We need a little bit of refreshment. So the Silver King, as usual, is going to crack a beer. And we are working with something very special tonight for a very special show. This is called The Birthday Bomb by Prairie Artisan Ales. It is an imperial stout with coffee, cacao nibs, vanilla bean, chili peppers, caramel sauce, and toffee. I don't necessarily know why. This is a pretty expensive beer. I think it was $14 just for this 12-ounce bottle that I have here, but apparently it's a big deal. I've been saving it for a special occasion. I can't think of a better occasion than an event like NXT TakeOver 31. So we are going to, that is spicier than I thought, we are going to get into breaking down this show right now. And when you look at the bigger picture from TakeOver 31, I don't know that the show is as great as it came off without the existence of this Capital Wrestling Center. And the opening of the show spotlighted this new basically set that WWE has come up with. It's named after the Capital Wrestling Corporation. And that intro they gave us to the show was pretty special. It's not often that WWE goes that deep into the old school history of the company to kind of give us something like this. So I thought that was a really nice touch. But the set looked awesome right out of the gate. The chain link cage in front of the plexiglass pods. It seemed like fans were banging on the chain link in an underground fight club or something. This was more underground from a look standpoint than Raw Underground was, if you ignore like the huge screens and the modern touches. But they, they just totally transformed the WWE Performance Center. And it's a massive improvement for NXT, both over Full Sail and even over the shows that we were getting from Raw and SmackDown in the PC. My guess is that they needed a significant amount of time in order to turn the PC into what we have here because the truth is, if they had gone from the Raw and SmackDown Performance Center shows to this, you would have said, oh, you know what? That's an improvement good for WWE. The Thunderdome is some completely something else entirely. But this for NXT 
it really fits. Like I said, it's a huge improvement. And there were fans in attendance. WWE said that every single person there took PCR tests, which are the best type of coronavirus tests. And groups of fans that were there were separated by plexiglass. They were mostly friends and family, it seems. So this did seem to be as safe as possible. Because even when you consider just the only other company that has fans right now, AEW, what they have going for them is they're an outdoor venue. And their fans are even further away from the superstars, from the wrestlers, from the action. WWE doesn't have that luxury. They don't have an outdoor venue. But unlike AEW, WWE is testing the fans, which is not sustainable for thousands of people. But if you're going to have about 100 people, then it's probably worth the money. So WWE not only had fans, they had those big video boards with Thunderdome-like fans at home, you know, watching live. And this whole thing just really worked. I thought the atmosphere sold the greatness of NXT TakeOver 31. Of course, the show still had to be great in order for that to work, but it it was great. I mean, this thing delivered like an old school NXT TakeOver delivers, like one in front of a crowd packed with fans. This delivered to that level. Now for these instant analysis, you know these are a little bit different than our ultimate previews. For our ultimate previews, we start small, work our way big. We do the opposite for instant analysis. That means we are starting with the main event for the NXT Championship, Finn Balor versus Kyle O'Reilly. All the years of watching NXT, all of the five-star matches that NXT has put out, I'm not sure we have ever seen an NXT match like this. This felt like we were getting Prince Devitt versus Brian Danielson in Japan but that they wandered somehow into an American wrestling show. It was strong style. It was absolutely brutal in the best possible way. Finn Balor and Kyle O'Reilly on Sunday night beat the shit out of each other. And they both looked like they had been in a real fight by the time this war was over. It was simultaneously exactly what I expected and not at all what I expected. Honestly, it's actually tough to find words to describe this match. That's not even that appropriate because these aren't big meaty men. But man oh man were they slapping meat. I mean, if if you didn't think those knee strikes and and the slaps and and some of the things that happened in this match were laid in, then you're wrong. These guys had welts and bruises on their bodies. They got beat up in this match. O'Reilly took major shots to the chest and ribs. He started bleeding legit from the mouth. I think he bit his tongue. Uh, Balor locked him in a sharpshooter. And it reminded me of that bloodstone moment with Steve Austin and Bret Hart when Bret locked him in the sharpshooter and blood was just cascading off of Austin's head. This is a little bit different, of course, uh, but O'Reilly gave that same guttural scream and you saw blood not so much pouring out of his mouth, but coating his mouth. And it just reminded me of that. Balor came through. He hit all of his signature moves, the sling blade, the 1916. He had a guillotine. And O'Reilly basically just concentrated on Balor's left leg the entire time. Balor sold it constantly throughout the match, which was good. He never forgot it was hurt. O'Reilly did a couple dragon screws with Balor straddling the ropes. Those were awesome, as were all of the knee strikes and the heel hook submission, and basically every single thing that Kyle O'Reilly did looked real and looked like it hurt. 
The finish came as Balor's mouth got totally busted open with a V-trigger basically in the corner. And as he's bleeding, he reverses all of O'Reilly's different offensive maneuvers into a couple of double stomps to his chest before hitting the coup de grace for the one, two, three. In the moment, I thought the finish was slow, but I rewound and watched it. And I'll tell you something else that happened as well. But I rewound and watched it and I saw that Balor, he wasn't really selling. He was legitimately hurt. His jaw is hurt. So he's getting to the finish here and he's right about to climb up the ropes and he's just kind of like there for a minute trying to catch himself. Probably because he was in so much pain, he didn't want to slip and screw up. He wanted to make sure he hit the coup de grace well and ended the match. After the match though, Balor looked like a total badass. He's standing there, blood pouring from his mouth, refusing to let the referee raise his arm, then helping Kyle O'Reilly up as a sign of respect. Uh, I joined the NXT TakeOver post-show press conference with Triple H, Paul Levesque. He said that Balor actually got, not rushed to the hospital, but he's brought to the hospital to get an x-ray on his jaw. I guess they think that he may have fractured or broke it or something like that. Kyle O'Reilly is also being checked out for injuries. So there's no doubt that this match was a beating. It was no bread, no water. It was just meat. He don't want no water. He don't want no bread. All he wants is meat. All right, excuse me. It's 11 o'clock. I got that kind of screwed up. But regardless, the point remains, this was a brutal match. And I look back on it, right? And I think, how do I grade this match? What kind of star rating does this get? What does it deserve? And there is only one number that comes to mind. And I don't have the sound drop, but I will get it. This match, just like this show, is all about the five. That was a five-star match from Finn Balor and Kyle O'Reilly. And I thought that was possible going in, no doubt. But I didn't necessarily expect we would actually get it. In the end, we actually got it. Those two worked extremely well together. I was thrilled with the performance they put on. And I don't know what the future holds for Kyle O'Reilly. You know, we'll talk about it in a moment. It seems like he's getting into a tag team storyline coming up here. But that man is a singles performer in WWE. He is the younger version of Daniel Bryan. It would work. He is a pure white meat baby face if given the opportunity. He has charisma. He cuts a great promo and he is damn good in the ring. And tonight proved it. He put himself on the WWE map because people already knew he was good. I don't have a ton of experience watching Kyle O'Reilly as a singles performer, but other people do. They watch him in Ring of Honor. They watch him in PWG over in Japan. Not me, right? I'm, I'm learning really mostly about him from NXT. But I'm guessing most WWE fans are like me. He was put on the map tonight. And I can't wait to see what he does coming from here. Now, after the match, it did feel like something was coming from a storyline perspective. But I did not expect exactly what we got, which was Ridge Holland. And you guys know I'm a huge fan of Ridge Holland. Dumping a knocked out Adam Cole off his shoulder and into the ringside area. You had Roderick Strong and Bobby Fish. They ran out and start asking what happened in a really corny way as the show went off the air. Pretty pretty clearly indicating that they're somehow involved here and we need to find out why and what exactly happened. 
it there wasn't really a spot in the match where Cole would have run out to save O'Reilly, where you would then say, hey, it's kind of weird that no one came to help Kyle in that situation. So that didn't necessarily fit. And then why this would happen at the end of the match, you know, I guess that fit because of how much Adam Cole has been praising Kyle O'Reilly in storyline over the last couple of weeks. But it just wasn't the ending I expected. So there's nothing wrong with it necessarily. It was just a surprise for me that that is what we got. And it wasn't the only surprise storyline direction that we got on the show. Speaking of, let's talk about the co-main event. Io Shirai defending the women's championship against Candice LeRae. And she successfully retained it. She uh, is still the champion going into this next generation of NXT. Whatever it is we're about to get feels like something different is happening with the brand. But this match went from zero to 60 for me in a pretty quick fashion. That's not to say it was bad early. It was just a lot of good moves by both women that seemed to ultimately go nowhere in the early going of the match. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere almost, it kicked into high gear with Lorray hitting the snap German, the backstabber, and the lion salt on Shirai. The referee gets knocked out and Lorray hits the wicked stepsister, but clearly couldn't get a count. This actually worked really well from a storytelling perspective because it showed that Lorray would have won that match clean as a heel, even though she ultimately lost. She also tried to win dirty, and I was totally sold that Gargano's interference would work. So they popped me on that one. It it, it almost was a double swerve in some way because it's like, oh my God, she almost won clean. Okay, of course, now she's going to win dirty because she already basically won clean. Io Shirai's all the way knocked out, and the title shot to her face ends up not affecting her too much. So that totally popped me. The finish was great with Shirai hitting the Spanish fly and then her moonsault. She landed it very clean, by the way, for people who criticize her when she misses them. She looked stronger than anyone else on the night to this point, basically overcoming everything that Candice LeRae had thrown at her and still, despite all of it, retaining the title. I thought in the moment that Shirai retaining was a bad decision because she is badly needed on the main roster and the women's division is so incredibly strong in NXT that it would have gotten along perfectly fine without her with a good number of face women to go after a potential champion, Candice LeRae. I mean, just off the top of your head, you can obviously talk about Shotzi Blackheart and Rhea Ripley, and there's more people to go from there. But as this segment, or I guess the women's part of the show, continued, I think I understood the decision a little bit more, and I also wonder if Tegan Knox's injury that's going to keep her out for a calendar year factored into this booking, because potentially they could have set up Candice LeRae winning, Tegan Knox becoming the next contender, off and running on a storyline. They didn't really have anyone else set up for Candice LeRae now that Knox is hurt. But regardless, Shirai retains the title, and then all of a sudden, we get two big-named women joining the NXT brand. We'll start with the biggest deal, and that was Ember Moon being revealed as the returning NXT star, and folks, I believe I had that one. It doesn't mean it was a stretch, but I believe I got that one right. 
So despite all of the exciting buildup, I thought this reveal was pretty lackluster. I guess if Moon is going to be a baby face, she can't really attack Shirai from behind, but the lights could have gone out and a motorcycle could have come into the PC or the lights could have gone green, the same color as the night vision that they were using and things could have shut off and then they could have come back on with Moon standing in the ring immediately across from Shirai face to face. Almost anything else would have been better than Moon just walking out on stage looking like a female Mad Max and then flipping her hair up and and you're saying, oh my God, she has a mohawk now. So I'm still glad to see her back because I love Ember Moon. She's great, but it just left something to be desired. And Triple H said on that conference call I was on after the show that Moon just got cleared. So this was a decision that they seemingly made recently, though they had been talking about her going back to NXT even before she got hurt when she was on the main roster about a year ago. But strangely enough, this was not the only woman being added to the NXT roster tonight because they also had, before Ember Moon was revealed, Tony Storm pop up on the big screen and basically say, hey, look, I'm joining the NXT US division as well. And by the way, EO, I'm going right after your title. So they took a women's division that is already crazy stacked and made it incredible. I mean, this is by far the best women's wrestling division in North America, any brand, any company. It's not even close at this point. And they just added to it. So like, I don't necessarily know what they're doing here. My thought maybe behind the booking decision and everything that happened is that Shirai is being left in NXT to put over either Moon or Storm before she gets called up. But I'm not sure how they would work that with the draft because the draft is this week. So I could be right about that or I'm wrong and maybe different women will get called up. Perhaps you could see Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez just straight up get called up because they are pretty good as a team. They would work out. WWE does need women's tag teams. That gives Rhea Ripley something else to do. I know they have a tag team match set for Wednesday, but that can be the final match. And then maybe you do Ripley and Gonzalez further down the line. But when you consider what NXT has in its women division, to add Ember Moon and Tony Storm, which, you know, I'm not saying they're the best women's wrestlers in the world, but they're both among the top 25, probably a little bit better than that. It's, it's just crazy. It's crazy booking. And it's honestly bad booking that they did it in the same segment. It wasn't creative enough to go Tony Storm and then Ember Moon back to back. What I think they probably should have done is what I explained about Ember Moon. You have her show up in the ring, confront Io Shirai face to face. And while they're jawing back and forth, Tony Storm pops up on the screen and says, oh, by the way, Ember, you think this is your moment, whatever, I'm back too. Or I'm joining NXT also. So that's probably what they should have done. It wasn't the best booking, but I mean, the result of it is Ember Moon and Tony Storm in NXT, which is crazy. So women's division, best in North America. And I don't know stardom well enough to truly judge NXT versus stardom. I know they have great women's wrestlers over there. I know one of their best, Sari, is on her way to NXT as well, sooner than later. So like, that's another one. (laughs) So I don't know that I have an answer in terms of best in the world, but it may well be the best women's division in the world. It's crazy what's going on right now. Uh, Up next, we have the Cruiserweight Championship. Santos Escobar defending against Isaiah Swerve Scott. 
This was an absolute freaking banger, all right? I loved almost everything about this match, except one booking decision that I felt gave the finish away before the match was over. Swerve had a couple great sequences first with a rolling flatliner straddle DDT. We saw Legato del Fantasma interfere, which was to be expected. But then randomly, Ashante the Adonis is helping Swerve despite having no background of them being friends or having helped each other or anything like that. So that basically told me in that moment that Swerve wasn't gonna win the title because the most likely scenario was that he and Adonis were gonna wind up forming a tag team, fighting against Phantasma, and then maybe you know just being a tag team in the NXT division. That was a disappointment for me because the match was rolling and it still finished hot. It was still a great match, but when I saw him run out, I knew what the finish to the match was. Or I should say I knew the decision. I knew who would ultimately come out of the match with the title. But nevertheless, from there, the action was incredible. Swerve sold a super kick like death and kicked out of the Phantom Driver, which Escobar sold like he had just seen a ghost. He couldn't believe it. I guess that was meant to keep Swerve strong in the moment, and it did work. Escobar then called back Eddie Guerrero. He did the Three Amigos. And then he did a frog splash, which was not the prettiest sight. I don't know if that's something he normally does, but probably shouldn't do it again. Uh, that left Swerve open to hit the house call and his 450 splash, which really should have ended the match and resulted in a title change. You end it right there, there's no issues. Instead, Escobar kicks out kind of early, almost at like 2.3, doesn't even get to two and a half. He kicks out early and then wins almost by happenstance by pushing Swerve with his head falling down and hitting the ring post. And then he eats a double underhook type of shoulder buster or move like that in the ring. The match was awesome, but I couldn't help but be upset that the winner was given away by the booking, as I mentioned, which was unfortunate. But you guys know there is no bigger fan of Santos Escobar and there is no bigger fan of Swerve than the Silver King. So any negativity that comes out of this match dropped at just half of a letter grade. And ultimately, you guys know, this thing banged. This is such good shit. I mean, the whole show was good shit, but man, that match was incredible. And then the show opened with the North American Championship, Damian Priest successfully defending the title against Johnny Gargano. This was a tremendous showing for one of the best wrestlers in NXT history, really, in Gargano, and someone in Priest who stock continues to rise with every single major match he wrestles. Gargano was pretty inventive in this match. He did the missile dropkick and that senton combination while Priest was wrapped up in the ropes, not to mention the fact that he did the awesome standing version of sliced bread, which is Brian Kendrick's finisher. Uh, Priest got his entire move set in, including the broken arrow, the razor's edge, and south of heaven, all of which Gargano sold like death. Gargano really worked hard in this match to put Priest over, and that was important. The finish was solid with Priest doing the tope cannonball, but winding up basically flying into a couple of security guards. It's just crazy that he can even do that move, a guy his size. It's, it's absolutely insane. And then the finish was pretty solid. Um, from there, I should say. He avoided a submission, countered one final beat, and then hit a draping version of the Reckoning onto Gargano. This was really well done because we not only got a great match in the opener, but a finish that made both guys look strong. It cast Gargano as a true heel because he did use a low blow to try to cheat. And ultimately, 
they allowed Priest to retain the title clean with his finisher, which is exactly what you want for a guy that they're building in this match. Now, there was one other match on the show, but again, this is an order of importance, not order of the card. And that was Kushida versus Velveteen Dream. This was the lone match that was not for a title on the entire show. Dream's entrance here was actually great. He looked and acted like Doc Brown from Back to the Future. That's a nod to Kushida's time splitter gimmick. He actually looked like a mix of Doc Brown and like Tyrone Biggins, <laughs> more than just a Doc Brown. Uh, Kushida attacked him before the bell. Even Kushida, despite him being a junior heavyweight, he was exceptionally aggressive the entire match. I found that to be a nice change of pace for him and his character. He stomped Dream's face, he ran his shoulder into the ring post twice, and he crushed his hand between the steel steps. Dream hit both the Dream Valley driver and the Purple Rainmaker, but he couldn't capitalize due to his shoulder. The finish was really good. Kushida locking in the hoverboard lock on the top rope, then slamming Dream onto the canvas with it still locked in. He countered a rope break and kept it locked in, and then he countered a Dream Valley driver and still kept it locked in, all for the submission. Kushida looked incredibly strong here, and he continuously worked Dream's arm and shoulder. Dream sold it really well. It factored into the finish. That's always important when you're going to allow a limb or allow an injury to be part of a match. It needs to factor into the finish, and it did here. Uh, Then after it was over, Kushida attacked Dream in the post-match. He attacked him twice. So you wonder when you see that, is this just this guy being aggressive, or is he possibly turning heel? Generally, when a face attacks a heel, even in a situation like this, It's just them being aggressive and getting out a lot of angst and whatever the case. But this was a little bit extra from Kushida. So it is going to be interesting to see how they decide to book him. Now, I couldn't help but wonder coming out of this match, whether Dream went out on his back here to some degree. One of you tweeted this to me. I'm sorry, I don't have your name. But either in terms of taking a break from WWE, considering all the controversy and all the stuff about him every time he wrestles, especially on a takeover His name trends for all of the wrong reasons. WWE seems to have backed itself into a corner with this guy. So it could be that. It could be he's taking a break. It could be suspended. could be he's fired, potentially. Or it could be because he's going to get called up to Raw or SmackDown as part of the forthcoming WWE draft. But for him to be beaten down that way by Kushida definitely makes you wonder what is next for Dream and why they would have that happen But then you think, like, it's one thing for this guy to be NXT. He's still dealing with a lot of this stuff. And, you know, maybe people get over it eventually. Because, again, this is stuff that seems really bad, right? But there's no one's ever filed charges. He's never been arrested. Technically, nothing has been determined to be specifically illegal. But it is really yucky if true if accurate, if what's alleged has been tr- is true. So how do you handle this if you're WWE? Because obviously you thought this guy was going to be a big star, but obviously not necessarily your fan base, but wrestling fans, probably a lot of your fan base, have turned against him in real life, not kayfabe. It's going to be a fine line that they're going to need to walk here. And I don't know exactly what they're going to do, but it is something that we're going to have to keep an eye on going forward with Dream, with NXT, and with WWE. So to wrap up NXT TakeOver 31, 
we have to give a grade. We always do that here. And we also always talk to our listeners and see what they thought about the show. So I put out a post-show poll on our Twitter account, at Getting Overcast. I'm going to do some quick math. I'm going to take a sip of beer while I do it to try to figure out uh, what the, how the numbers added up here. Okay, it looks like we have 95.4% of respondents said TakeOver 31 was either an A or a B with a vast majority, 75.2% saying this show was an A. We also got about 2.4% each saying C or the D slash F category. Anyone in that D slash F category that has to be trolling. There's just, there's no way in the world this was not a passing grade pay-per-view. So we're going to go ahead and eliminate that 2.4%. I'm gonna put that in my vote for A, add it to the total. So basically you're really looking at 97 plus percent of respondents thought this was an A or B show, which is absolutely incredible. That clearly makes it the NXT show of the year. I think it makes it the WWE pay-per-view of the year to this point. I'd have to scroll back and and see the exact percentages that we got from Payback and SummerSlam and just all the shows that they've had recently. The WWE's put on three really good pay-per-views in a row. In fact, looking at Clash of Champions, 60% said B and 28% said A. So you're still not even close to 97.0%. I don't think based on my recollection that an AEW show has gotten anything like this as well. So the fans are basically saying, this is the special event of the year. And you know what? The Silver King is going to agree. For me, this was an A show, a solid A, not an A+. In order to get an A+, you have to be otherworldly. A+, is very special. Was it close? Sure. But this is an example of a show that was greater than the sum of its parts. If I was grading all the matches individually, I'd probably give the main event an A. I'd probably give out two A minuses, a B plus, and a B. The B being Kushida and Velveteen Dream. So none of, you know, that is does not average to an A. In fact, it probably averages to an A minus. But the entirety of this show, when you consider what they gave you in a two and a half hour package, the quality of those five matches Almost never a singular down moment, plus the new atmosphere of the Capitol Wrestling Center, plus commentary, those guys being back, Wade Barrett was there. It just felt seriously important. And it was strange too, because there were no title changes on the show, but I do hope that they have something planned for NXT television coming up. And look, NXT also announced on Sunday night that they have a huge TV event coming up they will be running NXT Halloween Havoc on Wednesday, October 28th, which is such a freaking awesome decision by NXT to bring Halloween Havoc back for the first time in 20 years. The last Halloween Havoc was 2000. This should have happened a long time ago. It should have been a WWE special event or a version of Raw or whatever the case, but I am completely hyped that they are doing it. Shotzi Blackheart is going to be the host, which actually kind of seems appropriate. I would expect Dexter Loomis to have a match on the show. I'm not exactly sure what they're going to do, but it feels like a good spot for a tag team title match with Breezango dressing up as a bunch of characters, maybe a costume battle royal or something along those lines. But this needs to simultaneously be serious 
and fun. And the way Triple H has already spoken about it, again, I you know was listening to the post-takeover conference call, he stressed fun. It sounds like this is going to be an episode of NXT uh, television that is about fun, bringing people in and getting them excited for the Halloween season. Maybe not a show where you should be expecting five-star matches. But you know what? That's okay because I kind of trust NXT to do these things right. They absolutely crushed Great American Bash. Takeover in your house, it was a down event, many would say, but the conceptualization of it, the set, the idea just to bring in your house into that brand, that totally worked for me as well. So this was a really damn good show, a a great edition of NXT TakeOver. I don't necessarily think it cracks top five all time. I would really have to go back and weigh it. When you consider some of these TakeOvers that have had huge crowds going absolutely nuts, it's very tough to compare something like that to something like this. But I do believe a couple things. One, this may wind up being the show of the year, top to bottom. Number two, it definitely was the best pandemic show of this seven-month period, which is basically the entire year. And when you talk about Finn Balor and Kyle O'Reilly, it is among the best matches in NXT history, probably among the top 15, I would say. And I know saying it's a top 15 match doesn't sound great, but when you consider how many five, five and a half star matches have already happened in NXT history, and I'm trying to come up with a number out of thin air without actually looking at a list. That's actually really high praise, especially when you include NXT UK, because there was that Walter Tyler Bate match that was insane. They've had a couple tag matches over there that are great, women's matches too. So yeah, top 15 match in NXT history, that's high praise. And honestly, it may have been top 10. That's how great that match was. Finn Balor, Kyle O'Reilly deserve a lot of credit. The NXT staff, the entire roster, Triple H, they deserve a lot of credit as well. This top to bottom was a good show. And you know that this is not coming just because I'm in a good mood today because I got absolutely crushed in NFL picks. I was depressed all day. There was a period of time I actually forgot that TakeOver was even tonight. So it was a surprise. I had to do a lot of work. I'm obviously up late taping this podcast. And yet I'm still telling you, one of, if not the best shows of the year, we will do Getting Over Wrestling Podcast year-end awards in December, and we will vote and determine whether this was indeed the show of the year. I thank all of you for listening to this show. We have a lot coming this week in the world of Getting Over. On Tuesday, not only are we going to break down the entire world of WWE, we're going to talk SmackDown, we're going to talk Raw. My co-host, Chris Vanini, and I will do a modified WWE mock draft for the first time in show history. One of us will be Raw. One of us will be SmackDown. There will be some rules set forth, but we will draft superstars to our shows and maybe theorize what might happen as the WWE draft begins on Friday with SmackDown. And then this week as well on our Thursday show, we will break down the fallout from NXT TakeOver 31 and everything that happens on AEW Dynamite. That's a Wednesday night show, but the show from Getting Over airs on Thursday. So I thank you all for listening, sticking with me late into the night. I got all the messages. Hey, are we getting instant analysis? Why isn't it out yet? Folks, I got to tape it. I got to record it. I got to edit it. And then I got to publish it. But I have done all of that, obviously, by the time you've listened to this. And I appreciate you listening to the show. Do not forget to follow us on Twitter 
at Getting Overcast. And please do not forget to head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating and review. Let us know how much you love the show. And please let us know how much you love these instant analysis. That is it for tonight. I got a couple words left for you. I'm going to let someone else talk before I do. Thank you all for listening. I will see you on Tuesday. Bye for now.